0: been thinking about this lately This is what I
1: suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London
0: You can visit
1: us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realize So
0: I'm on my knees for
2: understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Leave off in it, but I'm no diamond ring i got a lot to learn, so I'm listening
1: Welcome. Today, we are not going to be picking up in our regular part of the text. We're going to be talking about something that's relative, but we're going to slightly detract from the book of Acts. We're going to talk this morning about suffering. Suffering in regard to the will of God, taken from First Peter chapter four, verses one through seven. Now as I mentioned, as you know, the ladies are away that is, the other ladies are away on a well-deserved women's retreat um, this weekend. I'd like to congratulate the married men for making it in this morning. Uh, particularly the married men with children. Especially as the clocks went forward. (laughs) And we lost an hour. Yes. If you're single and you're late this morning, what's your excuse? What is your excuse? Swiftly moving on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that we are here this morning. And um, wherever we are, you are there. And we collectively gather today in your name with the aim really just to appreciate you much more, to understand you much more. To understand and appreciate ourselves much more in a light of who you are with regard to your will for our lives. And today, Father, we're going to talk about suffering. I pray that you would help us by your spirit. To understand, appreciate, and assimilate this important theme found in the scriptures. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. As I said, we are at present going through a study of the history of the early churches recorded in the book of Acts. And because the ladies are away en masse, it wouldn't be fair to continue until they return And as as seen as Peter is one of the foremost characters in our present study in the early chapters of Luke's book, I decided to share from one of his epistles in keeping with the context somewhat. Some of the things that we discussed today could have possibly been shared by Peter in his more comprehensive teaching or in extended conversation with these newly converted Jewish believers that we've seen come into the church in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Although we know at this time Peter's first epistle um, wasn't going to be written until about 25 years after Acts chapter 4. Well, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 1 through to 10. Therefore, Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Throughout this epistle... Like most of the epistles, we see various themes, various subjects or topics being addressed by the writer. Now, one of these themes can be found in all five chapters of this letter. And this theme is woven like a thread through the fabric of this letter. And the first theme I'd like to mention is grace. Grace. Hmm. In chapter 1 of this book, verse 10 talks about the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. In verse 13 of chapter 1, Peter says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. We're going to see this same word, grace, appear here in chapter 4 when we when we come to verse 10. In chapter 5 of this book, three times it says in one chapter, it makes reference to the word grace. And one example is in verse 5 of chapter 5 where it says, For God resists the proud, but gives grace grace to the humble the word grace means unmerited favor as in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 right for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for by unmerited favor you have and, and I have been saved it's not because of any merit that we have grace. But the word grace also can mean divine enablement. Divine enablement. And Peter's readers are going to need it, that is divine enablement, because another of the major themes in this epistle is submission. Submission. How many of you know that we also are going to need divine enablement. You know, the Lord, he never gives us a command or an admonition without also giving us the ability or the enablement to obey it. He never gives us more than we can bear. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. Submission. Submission to kings at that time, governments, terms of our time, prime ministers, policing institutions, masters or employers, submission of wives to husbands, submission in this regard, husbands honoring and understanding their wives, which is essentially submission to God, husbands, when we do that. In all of these areas, the Lord says, My grace or my divine enablement is sufficient for you. So, two important themes grace and submission. And here comes another one our topic for today suffering, which actually works in conjunction with both of the previous suffer, or suffered, or suffering. Mentioned 16 times in this epistle. 17 if you include the word long-suffering. They say, how do you know when you're long-suffering? Well, it's when you've suffered long. (laughs) The word is passion in Greek, where we get our English word passion, or suffer, or vex, not meaning angry, As one of our modern colloquialisms. But vex meaning hurt or pained. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Therefore, or in the light of, in the light of the rest of the book, servants in chapter 2 being called to submit... Not only to gentle, but also to harsh masters. Consequently leading to suffering on their part. Therefore, or in the light of, or in view of wives being called in chapter 3 to be submissive, not only to godly husbands, but also to those who refuse to obey the word of God. Consequently leading to what? Suffering on her part. Suffering on her part. In chapter 3 it says, in verse 18, that in respect to paying for our sins, Jesus set the example, didn't he? Because it says that Christ suffered. Now, turn back to First Peter chapter 2, but keep your finger in chapter 4. Turn back to 1 Peter 2. And look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. Well, you should, that is, take your beating or your punishment patiently. If that is you were at fault, right? You can't complain when something bad happens to you because of something bad or stupid that you did, right? Here comes the implications of a foolish decision. Well, you take it patiently, oh man, I deserve this because of what I did, right? But when you do good, it says, and suffer, verse 20, if you take it patiently, then this is commendable before God. Wow, that is, you didn't deserve a beating, you didn't deserve punishment, you didn't deserve a raw deal, yet you took it without grumbling about your rights. Now some of you in here have received unfair treatment, right? Well, how did you respond? Well, whether you responded righteously or unrighteously, we're going to get an opportunity to get a lot of practice. Get used to Being confronted with situations that cause suffering in your life, even though it was not your fault. Peter says, verse 21, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you and I should follow his steps, who... Wasn't to blame. He didn't deserve what he got. He committed no sin, verse 22, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Peter says, to this brethren, you were called. See, the question is, who is prepared to keep the will of God, even if it means having to suffer? Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 3 Says for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That's like you know what, when you're going through a difficult time and you're getting a raw deal for no fault of your own, he says, Don't forget Jesus, don't forget that he also went through it in order that you would be encouraged. Because when you remember what he suffered. It's reminiscent of the fact that oh yeah. Jesus is my example. He said if they did it to me. Brace yourself. One of them promises that we don't put on the fridge right. If they did it to me they will also do it to you. And he says verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. Striving against sin. Or. You have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your own blood, unlike the Lord Jesus. Now watch what happened to him. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, drop down to verse 22. Who, that is Jesus, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. This shows Jesus the just, suffering as our example, then glorified. Can you see it? In verse 18, he's our example of suffering, but in verse 22, look, he's glorified. Therefore, therefore, or, now that you understand the principle behind suffering, turn back to First Peter chapter four, verse one, where you should have your finger. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves also with the same what? With the same mind. Employ the mind of Christ. In Philippians 2 verse 5 it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It says, arm yourself. That gives you the impression that there's something you need to do. And if you don't, there are implications. Arm yourself. Arm yourself, it says in verse 1, which means to equip yourself with weapons. In this spiritual war that we wage, what are our weapons? What are our weapons? We're in a war, right? I remember hearing um, Brother Mark at the back. I'm um, teaching one night on Friday night at Bible study. And he was talking about spiritual warfare and being in a battle. And he said for years and years, he never realized that he was in a battle. And then one day, he woke up. And he found himself on the battlefield in his boxer shorts. Bullets flying past him and grenades going off and tanks coming towards him. And he's there in his boxer shorts. He said he realized, "I'm in a battle, but let alone have weapons, he wasn't even dressed. We're in a war. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three to five says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh." See, the, the battle that we fight in a physical fight, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That person that don't like you ain't your enemy. (laughs) Your sister or your brother, biologically, for the youngers. They're not your enemy. Fellas, your wives are not your enemy. Sisters, the few of you that are here today, if you're married, your husband ain't your enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not war according to the flesh. Your children are not your enemy. Young is your, your parents are not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And do you know that you're in a battle against him? Verse 4 draw for your weapons. But what are they? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical. They're mighty, even though they're not physical. They're mighty. I think I remember once, long time ago. I don't know if you remember um, Men in Black. One of the, I think it was the first one, where Will Smith has got to come up against these these green eyed monsters, right in the film. And um, the guy that he's rolling with, like he, he's the understudy, right? Um, the, the guy's like, oh, we're we're gonna go and fight these baddies, and he's like, cool. And this and it, like, the, the guy that's leading out of the two, he pulls out this, this massive gun, like, you know what I mean? Massive gun! <laughs> and so Wilson's like, yo, where's my gun? And he gives him this little teeny little weedy little water pistol type weapon. But then when he fires it, it, like, takes out, like, half a city type power in this little tiny little weeny gun. See, sometimes we will sleep on our weapons feeling like, I know that I should pray, and prayer is a weapon, but what's that going to do? Look at my situation. I'm in 20,000 pound worth of debt. How's prayer going to help me right now? Listen, you need to pull out that weapon and watch. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's not the weapon that has the power. It's God who empowers the weapons, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now... Here's the interesting twist. Watch these three words in verse 5. He says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Three things. Arguments, knowledge, and thoughts. Now, where do these three functions take place? They take place in the mind. In the mind. And the mind is the real battleground. If you've been in this warfare, in this battle for a minute, how many of you can say amen? Amen. That's where the battle is. It's in the mind. Now, how did the Lord Jesus beat the devil at spiritual hand-to-hand combat? Well, he filled his mind with the word of God, which Ephesians 6 says is the sword of the Spirit. The Amplified Bible says the word of God, which is the sword that the Spirit wields. It's not even a sword that you wield. But when you speak that word, evidently after it is resident in your heart, you've got to get it in your heart before you can speak it, right? When that word gets in your heart or in your mind, in your understanding, in your appreciation, and you speak it, the Holy Spirit takes that and wields that like an Excalibur. Jesus filled his mind with the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And Jesus said, wait a minute, let me just try and find a rock or find a two by four to battle the devil. No, he didn't. He said, it is written. It is written. Now, question. How did Jesus suffer? Yes, I hear you say as I read your mind. (laughs) Jesus suffered by dying on the cross. But the word pasha for suffer is not limited to just pain that leads to death. Jesus suffered in going to the cross, but this word suffering is not limited to just pain that leads to death. If you can stay with me. Yes, it does sometimes mean that, like in Luke chapter 13, where the Galilean worshippers were slain by Pilate physically and fatally. You see that word used in that context exactly the same way it's used to describe Jesus. But that's not the only way that Jesus suffered. Do you remember in Mark chapter 5 with the woman with the issue of blood? Well, the woman with the issue of blood suffered. And it's the same word, and it And even though she suffered, her suffering was physical, yes, but it was not life-threatening. In Matthew chapter 27, do you remember Pilate's wife had a dream when Pilate was in the process of judging Jesus? She had a dream, or really it was a nightmare, and she said, I have suffered many things this night. Be careful what you do with this man. Remember? Well, she was suffering in that dream, but it was mental, it wasn't physical and it wasn't life threatening but again it's that same word the word suffer it means to experience a sensation or an impression usually painful but not necessarily physical and not always fatal jesus suffered these believers that peter was writing to in this first century they were suffering And we also will suffer. Sometimes mentally, sometimes physically, and sometimes even fatally. As we see our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church are experiencing. Suffering. Appreciate this. You might be going through one of those types of suffering, whether it's mental or it's physical. And physical even that might lead to being fatal... Appreciate, appreciate this, let this mind be in you. You know, how many of you know they say to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So when this stuff starts steaming into your life, it's going to hurt. It may hurt you physically, it may hurt you mentally. I can't take this anymore. But let this mind be in you. Allow this to be a part of your thinking that is the appreciation for suffering. It will stand you in good stead. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he, check it, for he or she who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The person that ceases from sin will suffer. Lord help me. The person that doesn't sin will suffer. Now that sounds like heresy. If you're listening keenly, does that not sound like heresy? The person that ceases from sin will suffer. I can hear you saying, wait a minute. I thought that the person that sins is supposed to suffer. Well, you're right. And that's the bad news of the gospel. Right? The person that sins will suffer, but in the next life. The person that doesn't sin will suffer in this life. The person that sins will suffer eternally in the next life. The person that doesn't sin will suffer temporarily in this life. Ultimately, both will suffer. The issue is when and for how long. Our point today is the person that ceases from sin Will suffer. That is the believer. Or the genuine disciple. The person that stops committing sin. Will suffer. The verse goes on to say. For he or she who has suffered in the flesh. Has ceased from sin. Now how. How. Does this happen. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 18 says. For. In that he himself, speaking of Jesus, has suffered. How? Being tempted. Being tempted. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those. Praise the Lord. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Remember when the Lord Jesus was in the wilderness. He was being tempted to sin, right? But he wouldn't sin. And because he wouldn't sin, he suffered. He suffered one, hunger. He suffered hunger because he wouldn't turn the stones into bread, even though he could have. And by virtue of not doing it, he suffered 40 days and 40 nights. Secondly, He suffered mental anxiety rather than receive the kingdoms of this world to himself. Remember the devil said, look, here are the kingdoms of the world and I will give them to you. Now you think, what kind of temptation is that? I mean, one, we get the impression that the devil has great authority because the Lord didn't say, what are you talking about? You don't have the authority to give me this. He didn't argue with him on that point. But then also, imagine Jesus, he who was accustomed to having power and dominion over kingdoms. I mean, this is him. This is his his JD. But momentarily, he doesn't have that. And he looks and he remembers for eternity, he's been ruling and reigning. What he says goes. Yet, He's weak. And he's got open toe sandals on that are probably leaned off. His clothes are probably smelly. You ever thought about issues regarding perspiration back in them days? I mean, I know if I come out the house, and you know sometimes it happens, you come out the house and you forget to put deodorant on. You're like, (gasps) you get on the train, you're like... (gasps) Your heart's beating, you don't want to raise your arms like an advert, right? I mean, and you just had you just come out of the shower. I mean, he's in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. Talk about being challenged hygienically. And he's not used to this. So it's a temptation for him to say, give me back my throne, what is this all about? It was a temptation for him to enjoy the restoration of his power and his glory, that which he was accustomed to. Just bow down and worship me, says Lucifer. And you can have it. I mean, it probably wouldn't have taken Jesus much to bow because he was probably so weak It was tempting now. There are many different versions of the Jesus film, right? I think the classic for me is Jesus of Nazareth with Robert Powell. Back in the day, before I got saved, you know, it used to come on every Easter, and uh, my parents used to have it on. I used to watch it. And I remember as a youngster crying when I got to the end Why did they kill him? He didn't do anything wrong. But there have been many different versions of the Jesus film made since then. I don't know if any of you have got the Time Life series. Um, most people don't like the Jesus version. I quite like it, personally, um, for many reasons, but you know, all of them take dramatic license and they share, share things in there that are not necessarily in the Bible, but this particular Time Life version, they, they get it twisted on the kingdoms of this world because what they do is they take Jesus through the different like spans of time and, you know what I'm saying, and Well, I'm going to show it to you. It's only a seven-minute clip. That's why I've been hustling, um, because I knew this was coming. Um, So they get it slightly twisted on there, but you know what? They absolutely, in my estimation, they absolutely get it right with regard to his suffering. Could you drop the lights for me, please?
0: Jesus. I know you. The Spirit has brought you to me. Do you know why? To be tested. The Spirit has led you here and has allowed you to know what men feel when they are being tested by me. But to do this, you must give up every privilege. You You must be like like them in every way. As alone, and little as they are, give up your shield. Abandon the protection of the power that abides in you. Empty yourself of your divinity. Empty yourself of the Father, Jesus. you, Jesus, without the protection of the Father? You know it is necessary. The Spirit tells you, not me. Only in this way can we challenge each other. I.
2: Jesus, are you hungry? Yes. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. You mean call upon my father's power? You have the power to command these stones, don't you? I'm only a son. But you have the power. <laughs> If I use it in this way, I will fail his mission. He has asked me to bring his word to men, not to crush them with his power. I'm just asking for bread to relieve your hunger, Jesus. Men have hungers. Feed your starving people, Jesus. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God missing the point Jesus you have the power to solve mankind's problems feed these people many are starving you can feed them I was sent to feed them the truth they hunger for bread, Jesus well they die of hunger because of the hearts of stone of other men not because God wills it and you can change all that and so they are to listen to you hmm a peasant from Nazareth You and only you have the truth Sent from God Others have spoken the truth And men have destroyed all of them For a thousand years But you You they will listen to Huh? Why? They will And just how will you do that Jesus? How will you get them to listen to you? So I'm going to help you There is but one way to make them notice you, Jesus. You must convince them that you're sent by God. Throw yourself down. He will command his angels to catch you. Then they will see that you're someone to listen to. They would listen then, wouldn't they? Oh, they would listen to someone who could do that. That's not my father's will. If he wanted simply to test his laws, nature's laws, he would not have sent me. Don't test God for your own purposes. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Jerusalem, Jesus of Egypt, Jesus of Bethany, Jesus of Bethlehem. Where else have you been, Jesus? Nowhere. No. So you cannot understand the stakes. Let me show you. not second in command, but number one you've never felt that power i have you've never been able to until now now you can be number
0: one do you know what that means jesus no power is what every man wants more than anything else in the world they kill for it there is nothing more precious and it is yours to have. Bow,
2: Bow down to me, Jesus. Just once in all of existence. Before and after time, just once, Jesus. It's a small price. Consider the reward. Away with you,
0: Satan! The Lord is written. Worship the Lord. A human kingdom by becoming the most powerful but by being the poorest for I am the Lamb
2: of God see you again Jesus it's only just begun
1: you know it's only since becoming a Christian that I've been able to begin to make sense of the challenges that I'm confronted with mentally, whether I'm just walking down the street and a thought comes to my mind. I'm like, is that me thinking that crazy thing? Why don't you jump in front of this train? You ever been on the platform of the tube and a thought just comes to you? Just, Why don't you just jump on the tracks? It's only since becoming a Christian that I've been able to assimilate what so many are confronted with and yet don't understand. And I think that gives us a, just a, a window into the world that Jesus was confronted with. With regard to the battle that took place just in the mind. And it's something that we can appreciate and learn from. And begin to wage a better warfare with regard to the, the battle in the spirit. It's when you appreciate things like this that you realize reading your bible is not it's not it's not a choice. It's like I need to understand what this battle is about. Therefore, where's my gun? How do you clean it? Where do the bullets go? How do you aim? Let me get some practice. See, when you begin to understand and appreciate, this, I tell you, this, that which we are experiencing is multidimensional. And um, it's a privilege to be able to look into this world, into this realm with clarity, And then not only be able to see it and understand it for what it is, but to be able to engage in it and to affect it. It's powerful. How hard must it have been to look at the kingdoms of this world for Jesus and not respond, not respond knowing that he had left the glory of heaven. And this this was his to appreciate. Yet, no, not right, not now. How tempting it would have been to go back to being sovereign and preeminent, ruling over kingdoms, but no. That was not something for the moment to be grasped. Rather, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. First, he suffered by being hungry. Second, he suffered mental anxiety. Third, he suffered humiliation and shame rather than prove his sonship by tempting the father. Lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He ought to be the first port of call when we're confronted with suffering, whether Suffering that we deserve or suffering that we legitimately don't deserve. He should be the first port of call because no one understands like he does. Our best friends don't understand, our wife, our spouse. Nobody understands, but he understands. Because he's been there. He's the high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what you're going through. Amen? Amen? How painful it is to resist. Yet the person that resists has ceased from submitting to the temptation. And the person that ceases from submitting to the temptation ceases from committing the act of sin. How painful to resist, yet how powerful. My brother James, I don't think he's here today. He wrote a song a few years ago about the pain of following, about the pain of following God and ultimately resisting sin. In the song he says, I will go all the way. Yet I may low all the way, but I will go all the way, the way of the cross. Nails and wood won't deter me, nah. Pain and blood won't deter me, no. I will still go. I will still go. Why not sin and gratify the flesh? Everybody else is doing it. Why not have sex with your girlfriend or with your boyfriend? Why not go out with your work colleagues and have a few drinks and then get in your car and drive home I mean, so many people drink and drive, right? I mean, you're in control, right? I know your favorite artist swears sometimes on his tunes, but the music sounds so good. I can't resist listening to it. Sin and gratify the flesh or... Cease from sin and endure suffering as a result. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 31. You know what? I die daily. It's Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. The temptation is to save his own life. And not suffer. I mean, why should he? He didn't do anything. Save your own life and not suffer fatally. He was evidently weakened. But no, he said. I will not buck the will of the Father. But I will resist the desire to sin and wrestle against it. It's... Submit to God. Resist the devil. And it's cease from sin. And suffer in the flesh. Listen to how the Amplified Bible renders verse 1 and 2. So since Christ suffered in the flesh for us. For you. Arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose. That is patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done away with intentional sin. They've stopped pleasing themselves. And they've stopped pleasing the world, and now pleases God. So that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living by his human appetites and desires, But he lives for what God wills. Why? Verse 3 For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness and lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Do you remember? You used to live to satisfy your carnal nature and the desires of the flesh. Lewdness or lasciviousness or licentiousness, immorality, depravity, shamelessness. It's a disregard of the rules of conduct, especially in sexual matters. To be wanton, unchaste. You know what it means to be chaste, right? It's it's, it's where where we get the word chastity. Back in the day, certain individuals like kings and noblemen didn't want their wives tampered with. So they used to put a chastity belt on them. And it was like a leather panty with buckles and padlocks. He'd be like, I don't trust you, come here. And they would buckle them up, belt them up, put them in that chastity belt so nobody could tamper with them sexually. I mean, we're all big people around here, yeah? To be wanton, unchaste. That's the opposite of this. It's, man, if I could only get out of this belt. But I can't. But you can. Because we don't have chastity belts anymore. Furthermore, we got the opposite. we got, we got stuff that allows you to go do that stuff. And then implements to deal with the consequences. So, oh, you got pregnant. Don't worry. Because, I mean, really, it's, 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 look, here you are, kids. Here are condoms. Like... When you go and have sex, use these. I mean, what happened to... I mean, they they say that's safe sex. That's not safe sex. What's the safest form of sex? Abstinence. That's safe sex. (laughs) Amen, my brother. And I think we're getting a point right here. Three marriages this year. Hallelujah. But rather than... Rather than warn kids of the repercussions and the consequences prior to them doing it. Hey, I know you're going to do it, but just take care. Be careful. I heard someone say that with regard to sin, the devil never ever says to you, hey, guess what? You can get chlamydia as a young lady. Look at that guy over there. If you get into a relationship with him, you might contract chlamydia, and you never be able to have kids. Would you reckon? The devil don't come and warn you of the consequences of sin. He warns you. He, he, he encourages you with regard to the pleasures. Do you know what I'm saying? And we're enticed by the pleasure, and we don't take take note of the consequences. And you know what? It's better to suffer the pain of the temptation than have to suffer the pain of the consequences. Oh, man, I can't take this single life, and it's killing me, and you know what? Hold on, my brother. Go and have a cold shower. You know what I mean? There's fellowship on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Alle- alleviate yourself of these opportunities. You know what I mean? But nah, no, the world says... Go and do it in unbridled fashion and here are a couple of different things you can use. oh no, you didn't use a condom. Oh, don't worry, take the morning after pill. So that's lewdness. Lust, how about lust? King James, concupiscence or desire. It comes from a word which means to set your heart upon, to covet. A longing especially for something that is forbidden. Lust. In this context, it's bad. Lust isn't always bad because you can have a lust for good things. A deep desire or a longing for the will of God. But in this context, it's for that which is wrong. Drunkenness. Simple, isn't it? This don't take much explanation. It's excess of wine or Alcohol. Now, it's not a sin to have a drink. Now, I don't drink alcohol personally. That's by choice. You know what I mean? But it's not a sin to have a drink. But it is a sin to get drunk. Revelries. Carousing, it means. Merry-making. A spilling into the street with torches and music and singing. It's that which happens very often as a result of drunkenness you just see them coming out the pub after, I mean they ain't even no after hours now, they can sell alcohol like 24 hours a day now or something like that right, but you see them when they have to come out at some point and you see, you see them police camera action programs, and you see them all piling out of the pub like this and then up, start fighting and rolling on the floor, girls hitch skirt, hitch up and on the pavement and Carousing, revelries. In the metro this week, I know it's a story of a woman who's suing a man for taking advantage of her while she was drunk. Although she admits to inviting him home, Apparently, she gave in to him in a drunken stupor, not knowing really what she did. She wasn't fully cognizant of what she did, she says. And now she's taking a man to court, saying, you know what, he raped me. Well, they tested her the following day, and she was found to be two times over the legal drink drive limit. The guy got off. He didn't get um, prosecuted. But you think just, I mean, I read the article and I thought, no one made one comment about the fact that, you know what? What about taking responsibility of yourself? You know what I'm saying? To some degree, all right, I'm not saying that, you know what I'm saying, it's right that somebody you know, would take advantage of you, but not at all. But these are the implications of you putting yourself in that type of predicament. Where's the, where are you taking your responsibility in that? I mean, it's a, that's an embarrassing thing. Rather, you, you should just hold that down and don't say nothing to nobody. Come out on, in public, in the newspaper. Who knows, maybe she got paid for that article. It's, it's so twisted nowadays. You should hold that down, sis. Come out there, all your work colleagues, all your, imagine all her family seeing that. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Take respons- You should have took responsibility. I mean, this is the result of living that kind of lifestyle. Drinking parties is the next one. Wow. Drinking bouts or drinking together or social drinking. A party of drinkers and assembling together for the purpose of consuming intoxicating liquid. This is the only place that this word is found in the New Testament. Nothing in this word refers to eating. We're not linking up to eat no food. This ain't, let's go and have a meal. Oh, would you like something to drink? Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, can we have a bottle of wine? No. This is going out particularly and specifically just for the purpose of getting inebriated. Or at least drinking that may lead to inebriation, right? The King James uses the word banquet. And it might give you the impression that there's food involved. There ain't no food involved. It's a beano. You know about beano? I know about beano. Because I used to work in an environment where people used to go on beanos on a regular. Get over a beano. Rob, you want to come? Laughing. Because I was a Christian back then. (laughs) They would go. Listen. You know like like the, the ladies have gone away on a retreat? Hey. They would have a retreat. And they would go on a pub crawl. We're going to do 20 pubs. Last man standing. I'll oh, drink you under the table, mate. And that's, all the, that's the talk on the coach. Who can drink who under, under the table? Drinking parties. The next one is abominable idolatries, unlawful idol worship, veneration of statues an adoration of items. It's one thing bowing down to a statue of Mary or a dead saint or Zeus or whoever they used to bow down to. It's another thing to worship idols, cars, houses, bank account, jobs, careers, husbands, wives, potential husbands, potential wives, idols. Good things can become idols. And the ultimate idol is who? Or what? What or who? It's self, right? Worship myself. And there are individuals who encourage others to worship them. I mean, pop idol. <laughs> Let's come over to sit down. It's 8 o'clock. Let's watch pop idol. Pop idol. It's Romans 1.25 worshipping the creature rather than the creator and then they that is the Gentiles or the unbelievers they think it's strange that you no longer live for these things this makes you know that you're saved they say we're going out tonight to get bladdered. we're going out to get slaughtered we're going out to get smashed you want to come? and you say nah <laughs> I don't want to get bladdered, I don't want to get slaughtered. I don't want to get smashed, thank you very much. And they look at you strange. Don't tell me nothing about the Bible. Verse 4. In regard to these things, they think it's strange... That you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation or excess. Because that's what it is. It's ridiculous now. It's so ridiculous that it's beyond appreciation. We don't even talk about it now. It's gone so far left field. Excess. Speaking, check it. When you don't choose to do it, they speak evil of you. See, remember, we're talking about suffering. The word evil here is similar to the word blaspheme. Now, it's not blasphemy against God, but you're not blasphemy, right? It's blasphemy, saying things about God that's not true. If God was so good, then why are people starving? See, but it's not against God, it's against you, against the believer. Where they say things about you because you don't want to do what they do. They say things about you that are not true. And we get offended. We get upset. We get, oh man. And they say things about us. Like they say things about God when they blaspheme. Shaking their fists at God. But, verse 5, you know what? They will give an account to him Who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will not get away with this. God will judge the living and the dead. The physically alive and the physically dead. When he returns at his second coming. And just like the Lord Jesus. Let us leave judgment to God. We need to pray for these people. Because evidently they're in a situation and a circumstance that they don't understand. They're blind. How you could do them things and then turn around. We must have pity on individuals who are in this state. Because we were once there ourselves, right? Until the Lord graciously delivered us. Let's leave judgment to God. And we have to pray for them that despitefully use us and abuse us. Vengeance is his. He will repay. Verse 6. For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. That they might be judged according to men in the flesh. But live according to God in the spirit. This verse has many a scholar confused as to the definite and particular meaning. Could I sum it up by saying that whether we live or die, God will ultimately eventually judge us, whether living or dead, tying in with verse five. "We, we won't get away. There is no escaping it." Now, now it's time for... Some real practical application as we get ready to conclude. Verse 7 But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. We quoted this last week. Here we have more encouragement for the believer. And you know what? It's the end of all things is at hand. The suffering in regard to temptation and being ridiculed and so on is soon to be over. So the admonition is to what? Go to sleep and satisfy the flesh and not pray? Or suffer and stay up and pray? Remember the 12 disciples on the night of betrayal? Matthew chapter 14 verse 37 starts off by saying, then he came and found him sleeping, that is Jesus, and said to Peter, the one whose letter we are now scrutinizing. He said, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. I mean, it's not even for my benefit. It's for your own benefit. Watch and pray. The Spirit indeed is willing. He wants to help you. God's grace is god's divine enablement is right there to hand reach out for it and he will help you by his spirit he's willing your flesh is weak and you need that strength access it verse 39 again he went away and jesus prayed and he spoke the same words to the father and when he returned he found them sleeping again they don't want the pain they don't want the suffering I mean, if if you know, sometimes you've got to do something and sleep comes on you. Like, about to overpower you, but you have to try and wrestle it off. (laughs) It's a private Private joke there. You've got to wrestle that thing off. Because who knows what you're going to be confronted with in the next hour. Remember, the disciples had no idea what was coming over the horizon. And Jesus was like, you know what? You not ain't ready for what's coming. Don't see missing prayer like, oh, it's all right. And I mean, God loves me, and he does. But who knows what's coming in the next hour that he may want to prepare you for in that time of prayer. Don't get caught slipping. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not... Oh, How many of you know that feeling? They did not know what to answer him. He'd be like, guys. It gets to the point where you've said it so often. Oh, man, I don't even know what to say. Verse 41, then he came the the third time and said to them, look, you lot are still sleeping, safe. Still sleeping and resting. Can't deal with the suffering aspect. How many of you know that's immaturity? And Peter evidently was there. Peter was well qualified to write these things as he did so from experience. As he did so from experience. You know, they say you live and you learn, right? But as believers, we need to turn that around. It's not just, man, oh man, I went through a difficult experience. Boy, you live and you learn and it spilt milk. What can I do? No. We need to learn and live. Learn from. If you're smart, you'd be like the man in Proverbs who went past the man's, the lazy man's house. Hmm. My man's house is brought down, mashed down, bushes over overgrown. The place needs painting. The lazy. Man, I hope no one's house is like that. The lazy man's house, and he's like the Bible says. He looked, and on the basis of observation, he learned wisdom. Hey. What's the lesson? Don't be lazy. Otherwise, your house is going to look like that. That's one of the first things I taught my kids. Be like, you know what? In this life, you learn two ways. You either learn by instruction or you learn by experience. Either way, you will learn. Don't put your hand in the fire. You either learn by instruction or you learn by experience. May God help us to be wise and learn from the experiences of others. There are, there are hundreds of examples in here. These things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come, the scripture says. It's for us to learn from these things so that we don't make the same stupid mistakes. May God help us. Can you hear Peter saying, don't make the same mistake that I made that night? I live with the regret of it. We're probably going to get to heaven and people are like, who? Peter, don't you know Peter? I'm not not sure, I don't think I read about Peter. I was was only saved for six months. Peter, the guy that denied Jesus, I mean in heaven, who knows? I mean, he will have to live with that for the rest of eternity. Can you hear him saying, don't make the same mistake that I made? Verse 8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. See, this is the practical outworking now of suffering. See, this is the mind of Christ. Even while you suffer, he says, show good character. Have fervent love for one another. Cause we're all gonna need our sins covered like Peter, love him. I mean, like, oh come here, Pete man, I know how you feel brother. I mean, what I did wasn't recorded in scripture, but I know how you feel man. Give me a hug, Peter. See, even while you suffer, show good character, love one another. Let's cover this stuff. Because we all make mistakes, right? Love is the fruit of the spirit. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It can be hard to be kind under normal circumstances, let alone when you're struggling, right? Do it. Although it hurts, be kind. And do it without giving in to the temptation to grumble. Because if you grumble, then what's the point of doing it? You lose your reward right there. Verse 10, as each one, and we're nearly finished, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Wow. When going through difficulty, the temptation is to be selfish and just think about yourself. You don't know what I'm going through. What about me? What I'm having to deal with and struggle with. And going through difficulty, the temptation is to be selfish. But here the Holy Spirit says to consider others. Seeking opportunity to serve. Denying ourselves. Verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, that is the word serves. If anyone serves, let him do it as with the ability, which is grace. Let him do it with that divine enablement which god supplies that in all things god may be glorified through jesus christ you see hmm, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen see the end of your faithful service according to verse 11 especially in times of difficulty result in the lord god being glorified one of the things that held jesus in that moment of weakness in that moment of temptation and difficulty and suffering he was like the glory of god is at stake i mean it's one thing peter flopping it's another thing you and me flopping imagine if jesus had flopped i mean it's unbearable it's unthinkable The end of your faithful service, especially in times of difficulty, result in the Lord God being glorified. Here's the challenge. Will you resist sin in your own life and suffer? Mentally, physically, maybe even fatally. Will you resist sin for the person and program of Christ? The challenge is real devoted love for Jesus expresses itself in obedience. Jesus said, If you're devoted to me, Jesus said, If you're committed to me, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's how you show your love for me. You're not coming in church and raising your hands and singing songs. He says, if you really love me, it's, like, ah, it's great that you do that. It's great that you worship. It's great that you sing songs, that we sing songs. But that doesn't impress him with regard to him being able to say, you really love me. Now, what shows him that we love him is the fact that we keep his commandments. It might cause pain and suffering. The question is, is he worth it? May the Lord help us based on his grace to submit ourselves to the will of God in the face of suffering. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end again, um, I thank you for your spirit, Lord, who has the ability to convince us of the truth. I thank you for men of God like Peter, a fallible man, Lord, who made so many mistakes, yet a man who genuinely loved you, loves you, and is instructing us with regard to this life of suffering to which we are called as Christians. It's not strange, beloved. The chapter goes on to say, Father, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, Lord. That's a real mature thing for us to pray. Help us to Lord to pray it. Help us to say it. Because it's to it's to this we are called, Lord, help us. Not to grumble when we struggle. Help us, Lord, to love one another in the midst of facing our own difficulties. Lord, um, we can't do it in our own strength. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit that we'll be able to do these things. So please, divinely enable us. Give us grace in order that we might be able to live lives that would bring glory to your name. So many are not doing it. And that's in the world, but so many, Lord, even Christians, are choosing not to do it. Lord, help us. Help us to to genuinely love you and show our love to you by keeping your commandments. God, help us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, and for Jesus' sake, we ask. Amen.